habits and budgeting is everything. And I think if you can do it making pennies, you can do it making millions and not living above your means. For ages, we've accepted that to start from the bottom means you must be paid less than what you're actually worth. Now, who out there hasn't been told or at least experienced this? I'm raising my hand high because when I started out as a journalist, it took a while for me to really understand what it meant to pay my dues. This often meant thinking that I should be paid far less than what I was worth. And this week's guest, Lauren Simmons, knows all about that experience. At 25, Lauren was the only Black woman and the youngest trader on the New York Stock Exchange floor. She busted her behind, moving from the South to New York City to pursue a complete career shift. From majoring in genetics at Kennesaw State University to becoming an equities trader and making history, it's hard to believe that Lauren isn't even 30 yet. But as you'll soon hear, making history was not her goal. Lauren's career is marked by strategic choices and a lot of personal growth. This includes advocating for herself to make more money as a trader for the New York Stock Exchange itself. She's got grit for days and some tips and tricks for young women who want to take full control of their finances and their career paths. So without further ado, get into this conversation with Lauren Simmons. talk to you about your career um, without bringing up the fact that we are in a quarantine. There's a pandemic going. How are you, like, how are you coping? Um, I'm coping pretty well, honestly. I mean, a lot of the work that I do, I do from home unless it is, you know, traveling. So yeah, traveling has uh, been suspended at this point. Um, (laughs) But I think it's great. I mean, I spend a lot of my time outside of working, meditating, doing things that are, you know, by myself. Um, so I think this period when everyone is on shutdown, um, is just a really good space to self-reflect and like work on yourself and, um, and use this time to really, you know, go inwards. Yeah. Understood. So you said that you're meditating and, um, really, it sounds like taking it a little slower. Has this been kind of good for you or has this actually impacted your business as it goes now? Um, no, it hasn't really impacted my business. I mean, as far as like speaking, those things have been pushed back. I mean, I know the movie was, you know, scheduled to come out this summer and production has been pushed back because of it. I wouldn't say it has hindered it. And I'm so sorry. I have no idea why my dog is so that's what you're doing in the background. Yeah, like, I, I love it. I'm I'm <laughs> I am completely alone in New York. I need the sound of a dog. So I'm like, what are you doing? Like, it's three o'clock. You didn't want to do this any other time. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, so you know, everything has been put been pushed back. But I mean, it's fine. And I mean, that's what you know. Life is going to come. Um, I know like the main thing for me though, um, and we could probably talk about this a little bit more as we dive into the interview. I always said to myself when I was going to get my studio apartment that I would have a year's saving. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's what I had. And I'm so glad that I like stuck with that because like my worry and my concern isn't, you know, making sure that I have enough money to cover rent and utilities because I have that. 
Uh, so whatever is to come in these next, um, for the remainder of the year will come, but you know, I'm, I'm fine as far as like not having to worry about like day to day, like bills and expenses and having to pay that off. Okay. I, I like your attitude. It's, 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 it's not, um, it's just, it's open and it's just very just straightforward. Cause I've definitely yeah. had conversations with, um, with folks who are on both sides, <laughs> whether it's like full on drama or it's, it's a little like, Oh, everything's great. And I'm like, Oh, but like, <laughs> is it really great? <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah. but let's, you, cause I really do want to get to everything that you do have going this year. But before we get to all of that, mm-hmm. let's start at the very, very beginning. What was your very first job as a kid? My very first job as a kid, it was probably working at my grandparents' deli. (laughs) Um, And at the time I was, oh, I don't know, 13. But my first non-family member job, I was a lifeguard. And I was there up until my sophomore year in college and had moved up to a managerial position. Um, Yeah, so I, I was a lifeguard at a like Six Flags Whitewater. I'm pretty sure they have those across the country, I want to say. Um, and so, yeah, I became a manager over the aquatics department and that was awesome. <laughs> wow. And you were, how old when you became a manager over the department? 19. Okay. So yeah. you, so you were in that job for a little while. Were you, um, yeah. were you always very, like, did you love swimming? I can swim right. I, and I feel passionate for that. But growing up, I kind of, you know, you learn that. So to hear of a young black girl being a lifeguard, and I'm assuming there probably weren't a lot of you, a lot of other black girls, you know, in this job. Yeah. I'm assuming you're probably a little alone, right? Yeah, so I worked in the aquatics department and it's and it's so funny because the day before so at that job you have to do a lifeguard test. So I had I I did the interview, got the interview and so then you had to actually do the the swimming test and yeah, I I didn't know how to swim. So I had my mom take me out to the pool what? the night before swimming um tryouts or the swimming portion of the interview and we swam and did laps all night long. So I learned how to swim literally overnight. Um, and yeah, so with the aquatics department, we had people that, that were lifeguards. And then we had people that were ride attendants, but they weren't actually in the water. So most yeah. minorities, especially women, um, specifically black women, um, they, were ride attendants. They weren't actually doing the swimming. So in my department, as far as like being a manager or even being a supervisor or a lead, because you went from lead, supervisor, manager, um, I was the only African-American female uh, that was in a managerial position. Got it. Okay. I just think that's always interesting when you get exposed to that at a young age, especially in your teens. Um, Especially when we get into (laughs) the field you got, you uh, became kind of known uh, to be in. Um, but before we get to that, I know you grew up um, in Georgia, correct? Yeah. And you attended um, Kennesaw State University and you majored in genetics, but mm-hmm. you ended up in a career um, on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange. 
So how did you go from having a major in genetics to that space? Well, it's interesting because when I went to college, that wasn't what I originally wanted to go to school for. I, in high school, you had to pick like a, a career track that you wanted to go down. And at the time, I really wanted to go into architectural engineering and still definitely have a passion for that as well. But life happens and it takes you where it takes you, right? Um, but when I was in high school, I was the only female that was ever in my class and obviously the only Black female, but I was like the only woman, so it didn't really matter the color. Um, and then I chose genetics because I didn't get into the engineering school that I wanted. Um, I did have a 3.75, so <laughs> I thought I, you know, had a great GPA, but I still didn't get in. Um, wow. And so I ended up going to Kennesaw, who gave me um, pretty much a full ride. And so I chose genetics based off of my brother, uh, who has cerebral palsy. And I wanted to impact um, families the way that doctors had impacted mine growing up. And that's where I thought life was going to take me. Um, very, very long story short, I was writing my senior thesis and I realized that we weren't as technologically advanced as I had hoped uh, within this, um, the field of genetics or, or what I wanted to go into. So um, writing my senior thesis, knowing I'm about to graduate and, you know, I say, well, I'm going to move to New York and we will figure it out from there. Um, moving to New York, it wasn't necessarily finance or even the New York Stock Exchange. I think I sold my, I had a very strong statistics minor, especially from engineering to genetics. And, and, and then it was very useful, obviously, once I went into finance. But I leveraged that um, heavily when going in interviews. And there wasn't really a specific job I was looking for anything that involved numbers. So I was like, maybe a financial analyst, maybe I could go into HR, maybe I can go into, I wanted to go into anything but research. Like I knew that's what I did not want to do, which is had I stayed on the genetics track and had gone to medical school, that is what I would have been doing. And I really didn't want to be in a space of, you know, hypotheticals or, um, I wanted to be on the front line of doing real research and not um, and not and not papers because APA know, papers I, and science <laughs> is is not fun at all. I get that. I I do get that. I'm I'm not gonna act sit here and act like I get your whole feel, but I do understand that decision. So, can we talk a little bit about your brother? I know. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong. Are you guys twins? Were you yes, close we are. Okay, you're twins. Yeah. Um, and growing up, I think because we technically did speak about this a little bit before, um, mm -hmm. I I remembered you mentioning that your brother, of course, just had a, and even just now, just had a really big role, a big um, influence on who you are and how you grew up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So my brother, I mean, family is obviously very close, but my brother. Um, with him being a twin, he just showed me different parts of life without him doing so. He's very much an extrovert, very much doesn't look at his disability as a disability. Um, and, you know, he was the man <laughs> in high school. He was Mr. MHS. Everybody loved him almost to a point where, you know, a lot of people didn't even know that we were twins. Um, 
but for people with disabilities, as they maneuver through life and as they graduate uh, from their community outside of high school, it is harder to have that community connection. And, you know, a part of me felt like I needed to just live my life as bold as my brother has and does. Like, I am an abled body person. If my brother you know, with the, with the disability doesn't look at life and isn't what was me. Like I have no reason not to be. And so I use that as a motivation to, for everything that I do. Um, he, he definitely inspires me. Yeah. I love that. Um, so can you talk a little about, um, that first day when you got, you got this job, you know, let's back up, pause, mm-hmm. back up. hold on. I have so many questions for you, of course. <laughs> what, was the interview? what was the job interview like when you went, um, you know, when you were, before you got onto the New York Stock Exchange? So the New York Stock Exchange, I mean, now things are a little different, um, which is crazy because it's only been three years since I have left. But prior to me coming to the trading floor, you got on the floor based off of who you know, which yes, we, we know this to be a thing, but it very much, very much is a thing on the trading floor. 99% of the people that work on the trading floor, their dad worked on the trading floor, their uncle, their, their mother, somebody, blah, blah, blah. And that's how they got onto the floor. So everybody that was at Rosenblatt Securities knew each other outside of work um, and not because, you know, they had like a friendly work relationship, but because they knew each other prior. So, um, me coming onto the floor, I had actually, um, interviewed with a guy. He worked for another huge financial firm, financial institution in, in New York. You can imagine the, the big ones that are out there. And yeah. he told me flat out that, you know, his company wouldn't hire me, but he had a colleague that worked on the trading floor and would I be interested in um, an equity trader position? And of course I, you know, I didn't know much about the position. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, you know, as most people kind of don't, but I was like, this is an opportunity. So yeah, why not? Um, Like there are no reasons why I, I couldn't be able to do this job. And so he introduced me to Gordon Charlotte who worked for Rosenblatt securities and Gordon said, come on to the trading floor. I came on to the trading floor. He gave me a tour. And then after the tour was over, he said, yeah, the job is yours if you want it. So there was no, there was no interview process. Um, hadn't been an interview process. That wasn't something that, uh, that people did on the trading floor. Interesting. Um, so how much did you make and how old were you at the time when you got this job? So I made, (laughs) it's wonderful. I'm sure everybody wants to know. Um, Let's get into that. If you feel comfortable, of course. No, no, that's fine. So I started on the train floor as an intern making, I want to say $5 an hour, if that. Um, In New York City. City. And um, just very long story short, the two years that I was there, six months prior to me leaving I basically my mom she works in HR I won't say the company but she works for a huge firm whatever and she was saying yeah they're paying less than minimum wage like you need to 
talk to your boss, you know, do, do what you need to do, do what's necessary. And it wasn't necessarily targeted to just me. It was, I don't know, a rite of passage from what the other employers or what the other employees on the trading floor would say, like, oh, you're supposed to start from the bottom, which I agree, but then I don't because I think people should be worth their time. Um, but ultimately, I told them, you're not even paying me minimum wage. And they were able to hike it up to 23000 And that is how much I was making on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that, that reminds me um, of pretty much the magazine industry, at least when I was coming up. I think I got a mm-hmm. few years on you, but it was very much um, understood that you work a full-time internship and you're either you're either not getting paid or you're maybe they'll cover your transit, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so often what that does is it makes it so these jobs are only available for, you know, people with money, people with a lot of privilege. So in a way it kind of you know, I, I kind of, I do understand that. So, so you were making $23,000 a year. Um, and did you have any support from your family? Like how were you paying bills? Yeah. So fortunately for me, um, I, my grandparents, they lived up, live up North. They have always. And so I stayed with them rent-free. They didn't require anything from me. They just wanted me to, you know, be able to find a job and do well. And I'm so glad that I had that support. I know I tour and I speak, you know, around the world and I tell people, you know, everybody can't be in that position to just, I think everybody can take a leap, of course, but I don't think everybody can just take a position where they're paying you pennies because the reality is, is most people do have bills and they do have um, rent and et cetera, et cetera. I was fortunate enough to not um, have that. And, you know, I do have to recognize that there is a little bit of privilege um, in that, but yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, do what is right for you and what you feel is important. If you feel like struggling for two years (laughs) is, is is worthy of your time and like you'll you'll get a grand rate of return on that um i think that's you know great but if you don't i totally understand that as well like i would never you know and i still like we can go on a long soapbox on it but yeah like i don't think interns should not be paid and et cetera, et cetera. like i do think people should be worth their time that they're putting in I agree 100% as someone who I think for maybe I think I did a free internship for like like three weeks or something and then had a moment I'm like I'm not doing this and then (laughs) it was just like I'm this is a job and I was also working another job and kind of balancing the two and I'm like you know what there's there has to be a different way and I ended up finding (laughs) a different way but um I did learn a lot at that point about how to make my money stretch, which was very important. Um, Mm -hmm. Was there any lessons in that for you? Is there any advice that you can give people even now who maybe, maybe they're out of a job or maybe their hours are being cut, whatever age, whatever career stage that they're in, what advice do you have? Well, I think lifestyle inflation always plays a part into people's lives in the sense of it really doesn't matter if you're making 23,000 or you're making a million. If you're always living above your means, you're always living above your means. For me, no, I didn't have to pay rent, but I definitely 
um, only would spend a thousand dollars, um, a month. And, and I had to make sure I was very firm with that. And then the little bit, and it wasn't a lot, but a little bit that I had left over putting that towards saving. I still stand by that. Now that I'm making six figures, I still stand by spending a thousand dollars a month. Obviously my rent, because I now have my own place is higher, but outside of my rent, I'm still only, um, spending if a thousand, like I, that a thousand is still a lot, but um, but again, people have bills and credit card de- debt and utilities and et cetera, et cetera. So it does start to add up, but I just make sure that I, I stand by that. And, you know, whatever that looks like for the individual, obviously different families, different individuals, it's going to look different, but just making sure that you are really on a budget. And I know people throw out that word budget, um, but yeah. it's all mindset. It's all mindset and, and obviously habits and correcting that. My mom has always been very um, financially savvy. And so for me, anytime I wanted to make a large purchase or spend more than a thousand, like even at 25, now at 25, like I hear her voice, I get a little guilty. I'm like, oh, like I shouldn't be doing this. Even if it's like for my birthday and like, you know, it's, it's well-deserved. Right. But, um, habits and budgeting is everything. And I think if you can do it, making pennies, you can do it, making millions and not living above your means. That's that's a lesson I wish I, I mean, don't get me wrong. If my parents drilled it into my head, but when I was making, you know, 23,000 a year, um, I was definitely living here in New York and paying <laughs> for my apartment. And I still don't know how I did it, but I do wish I was able to try to figure out a way to save. Um, so I love that. I think that's a really important lesson at any, any age or life. Um, so you ended up leaving the New York stock exchange. Um, what, fueled that decision and um what are you doing now yeah so I made the announcement to my boss um six months prior to leaving the trading floor that I wanted to leave and ultimately it came down to I mean I started getting a lot of press around my story and it wasn't just my story that catalyzed me to want to leave the trading floor I knew after two years I was going to leave the trading floor uh, mostly because I was like, I'm only going to put two years making 23,000. Um, <laughs> like I, like, you know, that, that was it. And I remember advice that I was given before I had graduated college from a professor saying like the first two years out of college is going to be the poorest years of your life. And just making sure that I, you know, make that a perspective and make that, you know, like, the, the, these are going to be the poorest years of my life. And if I could like manage to get through these two years, like I will be just fine going forward. Um, but I realized that my story had a message and what it was doing for people. And for me personally, you know, I loved working on the trading floor. I will not say, you know, anything bad. I genuinely mean that even making my small amount of money. I loved going into work every single day, genuinely. But I did see that, you know, our clients were institutional clients and they were all white men. And it was starting to frustrate me that there weren't more women, people of color, um, that that was in those spaces. 
Um, and so because of it, I said, you know, I'd rather empower people um, to be financially savvy and to um, to be financially savvy. <laughs> I was going to say to be financially savvy, period. So I mean, that in itself is enough just to be financially savvy, period. But no, I, I think that's amazing. Yes. Well, and, and I meant that on the con- consumer side and also on just the, um, like, you know, everybody has this ideology, how do I invest in the stock market? Not everybody's meant to invest in the stock market. So whether that is, you know, having people that is working within the financial industry because representation is very low um, as far as finance and even tech and so on and so forth, um, but then also just, you know, just knowing personal finance and basics and one-on-one. So a lot of the work that I do, um, yeah, I am a keynote speaker and a personal finance guru. I am definitely targeting uh, women, people of color, Gen Zers, younger millennials, um, and essentially being a Susie Orman of my generation. And so that be as you know a young black woman uh who was doing this in this space so can you talk a little bit about some of maybe the mentors that you've had along the way whether that was in your job itself or just in your you know in this whole journey really um what kind of support have you had from the outside um, yeah, so Richard Rosenblatt, I think he's absolutely amazing. He's still a mentor to me, Richard Rosenblatt being the CEO of Rosenblatt Securities. Um, he is wonderful. There were a few men on the trading floor who have absolutely been mentors. Um, and then there are other mentors that are completely without outside of the financial space as I'm na- navigating through um, these different platforms and and you utilizing TV and more on the entertainment side, I have found people within the entertainment space that have been mentors to me and, and kind of um, like helping me through this process. And so I appreciate it. Every last one of them I should note is a man, <laughs> Got it. Uh, black, white, and different. They're, they're, yeah. they're all men. Um, I would like to see more cohesiveness or more inclusion from other women, especially older women. Cause I think, you know, people, <laughs> certain spaces definitely have the formula down pack. A new person comes in, let's take them under, you know, our wings and let's, you know, mentor and shape them into, you know, developing them out and, you know, having these amazing careers. Um, I don't think women have been as great in doing so, but Hopefully we will get to a time where we can change that narrative. And I certainly, you know, still young, obviously, and I have a long way to go. But at 25, I try to mentor, help young girls as much as possible, um, at least so knowing you- the realities. Of- sorry, at least, sorry, just at least knowing the realities of what it's like to work in male-dominated spaces, how to use your voice, how to set those boundaries, um, and to not get discouraged and to also realize the realities of what it's like to work with older women as well. Like I, I, you know, I try to be honest and open as possible. Were there ever any moments? Um, it sounds like, like you said, you've only, you've had all male mentors, um, and maybe a, a, you worked with a few women here and there. What, what was that in that space? What was that vibe like really? Was it super competitive or 
was it a good vibe? It wasn't, um, cause I know I've spoken to other women who've been in male dominated spaces or there may be one or two other women. And unfortunately there actually was some of that, um, uh, a friend of mine described it as like the hoarding of opportunity. So she kind of just felt like, um, you know, they were never, they would never click. They were never each other's allies. They were never each other's supporters. And I think it was because there were so few women. So they felt much more competitive toward one another than, you know, like they were allies. Yeah. I, and I hear that, but I, but I do think a person that is later in their career, like, what are we competing for? <laughs> I'm an entry level person, you know, new to this space, regardless of it's, if it's, you know, finance or entertainment or whatever, whatever. Um, we like I you have years on me you have crafted yourself to get to where you're at and I think that is amazing and like always you know wanted to be a goal of mine like you always want to like look up to a person and say like yeah like I want to be able to do what they're doing and not necessarily have to take from that like there's many opportunities out there where we could have it but um yeah I've heard that there is competitiveness and, I, and I'm using the word heard because I have been in those spaces. And to me, it just never clicked on why we were even competing, especially where we were at within our careers. If you were later in your career and had been in your career for 10 plus years, I was never going to get to where you were at in a shorter amount of time. You know, I was never going to be president or vice president or any of those things. And so, um, so Lauren, competitiveness for, just never made sense. Lauren, for just just to Sorry. make sure, just that's okay. See, this is this is what I miss, you know, talking face to face instead of over Zoom. Um, but just for clarity, um, so you have kind of encountered some awkwardness, maybe working with other women in that space who are older and more seasoned, because it sounds like you yes. yourself thought like we're not in competition, sis. Like, okay, right? That, that's right. what I was wondering specifically. Just you know, yeah. That even was a thing because um because I didn't want to you know you also hear the stereotypes about women being catty which I I always hate hearing that as well but it does happen sometimes and it it, it does happen sometimes happen, yeah it tends to happen I think in spaces where there are, are a lack of women so it's just so it, I you know kind of just wanted to just touch on that a little so yeah. when so you left you left this job um and you were still making twenty three thousand a year or when you left or did it increase a little bit? No, that was the ultimate number. Okay. <laughs> to make sure, just making sure. So you make, you're making 23,000 uh, a year and then um, you pretty much left to be on your own. What has that experience been like? That sounds terrifying, although also maybe a little liberating. Yeah, I mean, obviously liberating. I just, for me, I, I knew I had a grander purpose. Like, for me, my purpose wasn't on the trading floor. I absolutely enjoyed it, but I knew I wanted to do something more, something that I was actually impacting people's lives. Uh, so I said, I'm going to bet on Lauren and I will figure this out. And I stand by that decision every single day and I'm so happy of, of where I'm at today and all that I have built and created um obviously outside of speaking yes we have the movie coming out but we also have a tv show coming out that I am creator writer um everything like this is my baby this is essentially what I've been working on for the past uh two years since I left the trading floor 
I also have a podcast coming out um, later this year as well. And so, yeah, I'm really happy within the space that I'm at right now and everything that I was able to create um, and manifest. So, yeah. So congratulations. Um, I think Thank that's, you. that's amazing. I'm all about um, people finding a way to, you know, work in their purpose for themselves um, and, you know, just to be able to do what they love. I think that's, that's always going to be um, inspiring to me at least. So when you first went independent, so to speak, can you talk a little bit about your first paid opportunity and um, just how did you prepare to make that transition to from having at least, you know, even though it wasn't a lot, a, a little bit of income consistently, you know, from a paycheck versus venturing into the unknown? Um, so my first paid opportunity was a speaking opportunity in front of 20,000 people. And I remember this was a little bit before I left the trading floor, but I was like going around asking the men on the floor, like, how much do speakers get paid? And you know, so on and so forth. And I'm such a person who, if you tell me no, or you give me reasons on why I can't do something, well, now I'm going to absolutely do it just to do it and and to prove that I can do it. Because I think the most growth we get is, you know, putting ourselves in in uncomfortable situations. And um, yeah, anyways, I got invited to the Grand Cayman and they wanted me to speak and they were like what's your number and the men on the floor were like well what could you absolutely have to speak about it's no way um and you shouldn't be charging people to have you speak and I'm like okay yeah okay rude you know what haters that's it (laughs) just haters haters I hate it I did I um my like first speaking engagement uh, and uh, I'll be full disclosure was 10,000 and I (laughs) that was like half of what I was making on the training board so I was like yeah and then anyways they immediately said yes and I was like oh I could definitely charge more than this going forward but um, I did it and I just remember you know being on stage and how scary that was and and yeah like I actually did have something of value to add and people did want to hear my story and and continue to but it wasn't you know what what was the value add like there's plenty of value add there but I definitely said yes more um because there were so many people saying no (laughs) (laughs) and you know you've said this a couple times um just during our discussion um your story where you Mm -hmm. talked about telling your story sharing your story um from my point of view I when I think of your story I only see of course, what I've read in headlines and, um, and just like those, those sound bites and you being the youngest and only at the time, um, Mm -hmm. woman on the training floor, a black woman, like you, your story that I know ticks all those boxes, but what really, what's, is there more to it that people don't know that you've been wanting to share? I mean, more to it in the sense of like, yeah, like what is it like being the other in in the room and and how do people use that so they too can be the other in the room? I do think it's crazy how in 2000, anything we are, you know, making history uh, based off of our outward appearances, whether that's, you know, your gender or your race or et cetera, et cetera. Like, I I do think that's crazy, but it is still happening. And I want to, you know, continue to give people, you know, the courage to break into, uh, 
you know, realities that aren't considered normal for them and using that to create whatever dream it is that they have. And and their dream doesn't, like my dream wasn't the trading floor. It was a job and I loved it. And so the, the dream isn't necessarily, oh, let me try to penetrate into a space of, um, you know, making history. It's more about just being in places where, you know, it's not normal and it's okay being uncomfortable. And like, there's so much growth within that. Like, don't say no to opportunities because uh, you're not familiar with it. I think the biggest growth comes from putting yourself and and being vulnerable and putting yourself into places where you uh, can grow the most and be uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I love that. I, that's important. Um, can you talk a little bit now about this year <laughs> before the pandemic happened? Um, I know you had so much going on. I'm assuming you still have a lot going on from what it sounded like earlier, mm-hmm. but um, with the show, mm-hmm. the show and also this movie starring um, Kiersey Clemens, correct? Yes. So yeah, the movie uh, with Kiersey Clemens, um, I'm, I'm, we're both executive producers on the film and we've been working closely on this. So we're super excited for everyone to see and the, the writing process and the casting has been just a wonderful experience. Of course, production has slowed things down a bit, but um, it is, you know, a story that, that translate and will be relatable um, time and time again through throughout history right um but i do think it's important to to again share that and obviously the bigger the platform the better in the sense of yeah just giving people the the courage to go out and be fearless and you know make your dreams a reality uh to be the case um outside of that my tv show a personal finance tv show has it been picked up by a network or is it something that you're doing independently Yes, it's been picked up by a network, but I can't say who yet. <laughs> making that, I know, we'll be making that grand announcement, but yes, it has. So I, I can't wait for like everybody to be able to, to stream it and to see it. And um, like everybody, we're super excited. But um, but yeah, this is something that I've been creating uh, for the past two years. And it is a show about getting people and their personal finance together, but also talking about the next recession and being prepared for that. Now yeah. we are in the next recession, um, yes, but I do are. think it's so important that we target uh, the younger audience. I think, you know, we have this, especially the younger generation with social media, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with the Kardashians, essentially. And while I do want you to live these wonderful, extraordinary, colorful lives, I do want you to understand the importance of finance and finance is always going to be the backbone of any organization, um, going to be the foundation for you. And it's creating and having conversations around generational wealth. So I am so excited about this passion project and what I've been working on for the past two years. Yeah. And you also touched on something that I've been um, a little obsessed with for a while, especially before everything started to change, um, the recession, because we knew one was coming and we, you know, I'm going to assume no one knew that it would come like this. <laughs> so, um, no. was, there something, <laughs> was there something that, um, how did you prepare, um, and not just saving more, but I'm sure you prepared in some other ways. Are there any tips that you can give 
people now who maybe they weren't as prepared as they should have been? Well, we know 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And I really want to instill in people, yeah, maybe, you know, having a year's worth of rent is crazy. Like, I'm so fortunate that I'm able to do that. But you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. And it's really breaking down the finance, um, the foundation and what are you spending your money on, on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, on a weekly, and then growing that into a monthly and really starting putting to put money aside towards um, obviously budgeting and saving. But also, again, I, I love all these companies that are saying like invest now and invest as early as you can. I totally believe that, but I want to put an asterisk, you know, next to that. Like if you are not in a place to be investing, don't make that a priority. And most people, because they're 70% of Americans are living pay- paycheck to paycheck, are not in a position to be spending cash that they don't have and trying to put it into the stock market on the hopes that next week, you know, they'll make significant more and be able to pay off their debt. Like that's just not how it works. And so, um, yeah, that, that, that's, you know, kind of just breaking that down because that number is very large and it's no reason why it should be, uh, 70% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. We can definitely be able to do something about that. And so having those conversations and debunking these disbeliefs, um, and kind of going from there. So, Lauren, where I got, I want to keep you on here for another hour, but I'm going to assume <laughs> you don't have the time and that's okay. Um, but the name of this podcast is called Unbossed. Um, so can you tell me what does the word unbossed mean to you? So I would say unbossed means to me um, not having a gatekeeper to your reality. Like you are... You don't need anyone else to make your dreams come true. And I think unboss, you are the gatekeeper. You hold the keys. You hold your future. If you want to make it happen, you will make it happen. And that's what I would say unboss means to me. (laughs) Hopefully hopefully that helps. I love that. So tell me about a woman particularly that you admire who is unbossed. Whether it's your mom or whether it's somebody that people may not know about. I was going to say, I want to, I would definitely say the woman that's unbossed is my mom, for sure. She's always, I've always looked up to her. Um, single mom raised, you know, my brother and I and uh, my little sister. But I just, as an adult, she, she just told me the story and I kind of always think about it. But uh, my brother was in and out of the hospital a lot when he was younger. And one day her superior said to her, are you going to put your kids before your job? And my mom that same day walked out and quit. And I just, as an adult, I just see how independent, how courageous, how fearless she is. And I want to be able to embody that as much as possible. So I really look up to um, her being an unbossed woman and like making it happen. And if something isn't sitting right with her, her having the courage to say, you know what, this isn't right for me. I'm going to walk away. Kudos to your mom. She sounds amazing. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you sound like, it sounds like you, her fearlessness has rubbed off on you and it'll continue to show. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Right.
Thank you, Lauren. Well, you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Be sure to listen, download, or subscribe to more episodes of Unbossed. You can find Unbossed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple listeners, please be sure to leave me a review and let me know what you think. Be kind, but be critical. That's okay, too. Don't forget to hit me up on social at Marquita underscore Harris underscore. Be sure to use the hashtag Unbossed Podcast. I appreciate you. Thanks, guys.